That's a slot drop. I can answer that. That's a slot drop. What is that move? That's a slot drop. Welcome back to the Slop Drop, everybody. This is Nathan Rogers at Woo Pig Sumo on Twitter, and we are joined by the man himself, David Chapman. What's, up, What's man? up, man? Kick it off with NWA Power. Eddie Kingston interrupts Cornette and Galley, calls out the Dawsons after the beatdown of him, homicide, and wildcard last week. Eddie Kingston tearing it up on the mic. He did a really good job. I was impressed with his uh, with his ability this week. Uh, Marty Bell pins Crystal Rose via double underhook. Face Buster, I believe it's Cornette called it a Pearl River Plunge, but uh, it really wasn't. I mean, Ahmed Johnson used to do a Pearl River Plunge as a finisher. This was more like a uh, a Pearl River Plunge is more like an under, underhook with, into a power bomb, but this is more like a, a pedigree into a Face Buster. I don't know if you caught that or not. Yeah, I think he I think he uh, misused the reference there because um, I'm like you. The only Pearl River Plunge I remember Ahmed Johnson used, and it was literally the double underhook into a power bomb. Uh, Dave Marquez interviewed the Dawsons, who uh, said they'll fight anyone in the main event except Kingston the Homicide. And then a hype package for Thunder Rosa plays. Thunder Rosa is very talented. Excited to see her in NWA. Yeah, I can't wait. I think, uh, you know, I hate to say that uh, NWA is going to have a little bit more of a uh, women's division than AEW does. But, uh, you know, Thunder Rosa, that's a big sign. I mean, that's a, that's a huge, huge uh, score for them. She actually liked one of our tweets a few weeks ago. She signs the NWA. I think she's going to be the face of the women's division. I agree. I I, agree. I really do agree. Aaron Stevens comes out, again, Damian Sandow, uh, plugging his fake movie called The Tropical Pirates. You're welcome. You know, odd or not, I love the guy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why somebody like AEW didn't sign him. You know, kudos to NWA for snagging him up, but uh, – it- you know, this guy's gold, in my opinion. I, I loved his little interview he did. It was, you know, what, two minutes long, if that. Uh, guy gets, you know, he's got more chops than Ric Flair. Uh, he just, it was a great, great overall overall little interview he did. And and kudos to him for switching up the character a bit. You know, he did the genius type thing in WWE. Well, instead of piggybacking off that, he's going with his thespian type deal, which is still, you know, along the same lines of a, Someone that's better than you, smarter than you, and all that stuff. Yeah, he's tweaking it just enough to where it's not the same, but that people still recognize it and understand what he's doing. Caleb Conley pins Dan Parker by a springboard moonsault. You and I talked about this Caleb Conley a week or two ago. It looks like this was maybe a showcase match for him and good for him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think he shined during this match. Um, and again, like I mean, we said it a couple weeks ago. I think this dude's going to go far and do really well in this company. Tim Storm is then actually interviewed and uh, speaks positively about Nick Aldis, uh, the NWA, and of course Mama Storm. Eli Drake comes out, talks about the Storm being on the same list as some of the greats, you know, some of the champions like Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Flair, and you know the list goes on. And then asks him to be his tag team partner <clears throat> later on in the show against the Dawsons in the main event. We get another spoof commercial. For spiritual advisor, invisible hair cream. Uh, these things are, are, are kind of growing on me. They're kind of funny, and I actually may start using this stuff since I started shaving my head. I like the I like the little commercials. Uh, they uh, they kind of play in well. It is a little comedy relief uh, to the to the show. Um, 
and I'm like you, my head shaved right now, so so maybe we both need to need to sign up and invest in that. Dave Marquez uh, says Josephus wants to offer an apology and shake James Storm's hand. Instead, Colt Cabana comes out, puts on a cowboy hat, and accepted the the apology as if he was James Storm. Josephus throws powder in his eyes, rolls him in the ring. Storm comes out, hits Josephus with the uh, super kick, the last call, and then sizes up Cabana, uh, who's then rescued by Mr. Anderson, Ken Anderson. I don't know what it is about Josephus getting kicked in the face that I'm enjoying so much, but I am really <laughs> liking these little segments he comes out and does. Joe Galley interviews Nick Aldis and uh, Camille. Aldis talks about several potential challengers and really praises Ricky Starks. Uh, Galley attempts to speak to Camille again, and she refuses. But they're going to push the Starks to the moon the way it's looking. Yeah, I think they're going to. And, you know, kudos for him. If he can uh, if he can carry the weight that the, the, the company needs or the company has, I guess, um, then more power to him. You know, give him a shot. I, you know, I think it'll be good. Um, I think uh, I think they'll work to good together, and uh, you know, let's see what he's got. They then show a weird vignette for the question mark. Um, I don't know who the question mark is, but uh, they're kind of building a, a a debut for him. Yeah, I don't have a clue who it is either, but I'm you know I'm anxious to see it. I think it's kind of cool that they're doing a little uh, vignette for him uh, as old school as as they've been with the no ring music and the you know just coming right out from the back of the studio and going into it so i think it's kind of neat that they are pushing and doing these little vignettes for somebody and uh yeah i'm anxious to see who they bring in the dawson's and defeat eli drake and tim storm by pinfall when they smash storm between them with a running power slam uh, after they continue to beat storm until homicide and kingston make the save aldis comes out checks on him uh, Drake check, checks on him as well. That pretty much ends the show. Um, you know, again, Aldis he's kind of a tweener right now. You know, you don't you don't know whether to to like him or or boo him at certain points of the show. But I, who knows? I don't know if Eli Drake and Tim's going to continue to team up or you know, uh, well, form something with Aldis. I don't know. I'm I'm worried that they're going to keep. Uh, keep Aldis as a tweener, and then eventually, they're you know they're going to keep having Tim lose, and eventually turn him into a heel. That's what I that's mm-hmm. what I kind of foresee coming. Which don't get me wrong, Tim can play a heel, um, but if you know Tim and you've ever talked to the guy, yeah. you know the guy's just that's, a huge baby face. Yeah, and I've and I've kind of thought that myself. That you know they're going to turn him heel, and like you said, if you know him, you know how. <laughs> cool and, and nice guy he is uh, it, it's just weird to picture him as a heel once you get to know him in, in real life you know but you know then again to be honest with you man some of the biggest heels that there's been have been some of the nicest people that you'd ever meet in your life so you know right. maybe he'll nail it and do good do it uh, do good for a while with that with the company and uh, maybe give them what they need again I, i'm loving <laughs> nwa power and I just hope they continue to bring it as they have, and I think they can. Oh, I do too. I do too. I hope they keep going. I would like to see it get extended, uh, maybe to a two-hour show. Uh, we talked about that. Maybe maybe six months down the road. Um, but I hope they get to keep up the momentum. And uh, again, this week, you know, they had the crowd again eating out of the palm of their hands. And I hope they can keep that momentum. And I hope it just keeps pushing them forward. AEW Dynamite Lucha Bros defeat Private Party. Move on to the finals of the Tag Team Championship Tournament. So. Uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, when uh, Private Party went over the Young Bucks, I told you that I really liked Private Pro- Private Party, 
I wanted to see how good they were. I wanted to see how far they could go. Um, but I got to tell you, this match, I you know, I had to give my kudos to the Lucha Brothers. Them guys nailed this match, man. Like I, I really enjoyed watching them. Private Party, uh, I won't say they botched anything, but there was a lot of shutter stepping, I guess. I don't know really how how I can word it, um, but they 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 well, got going too fast, I think, at times, and they really kind of lost their footing. It, this was a huge spot fest, and I again earlier, I may be getting old and cranky in my days. I did enjoy the match, and both teams are talented. This was a huge spot fest, and you and I both know guys who've been in the business that'll absolutely hate this for that reason. <laughs> I didn't mind it, but like you said, there was a few times a private party. It, it looked too choreographed at times. It's like they were waiting to take turns to do stuff. Yeah, you know, and I give it credit. Uh, one of the guys on Private Party, I can't remember which one it was, went to do like a springboard jump off the top rope, and he actually missed. But he saved himself and landed on the second rope and finished his move out. It could have ended very bad, uh, very dangerous spot to miss. But uh, I, but I agree. You know, watching this match uh, – they literally were giving each other spots to do. And I didn't really care for it because you, you could just see that they were premeditated. They were pre-worked. Um, but again, the Lucha Brothers, man, they nailed it. They nailed every spot they did. I was glad to see them come out on top because as far as performances go, I think the Lucha Brothers blew, blew the other guys out of the water. SCU then defeated the Dark Order to move on to face the Lucha Brothers next week in the finals of the championship tournament. And I just read not long before uh, we started recording this, the Rock and Roll Express is going to be there and going to present the titles to the inaugural tag team champions of AEW. That's awesome. That'll be that'll be a good good thing to watch. Uh, of course, those guys are legends in their own right. Um, but that's that's neat, and, and that's one thing that I, that I'm really liking about AEW. Getting uh, you know, and I I don't want to slap them in the face by calling them older guys, but getting some of the legends still involved um and this show of course we'll talk about it later had another guy come out at the end that mm-hmm. uh that uh was really awesome to see i do want to ask you about this tag match though did you count how many and i don't know if you want to call them her and Carrados, frankensteiners whatever you want to call them did you count how many there were there there was a lot of hurricane and actually both of the matches um and Lots of hurricane runners, lots of lives and stuff. And I think Justin Incredible on Twitter even pointed out, like, hey, a couple is fine, but you start doing too many and it, and it waters it down uh, in general. And I, and I agree with that. Again, these are entertaining matches, but in the grand scheme of things, it does water a lot of stuff down if you continue to do it, you know, over and over. It seems like they did like 10 or 12 of them. And then the next tag match, they did four or five of them. And it was like, man. You know, there's there's more out there to do than than her Karatas on everybody. I do like the uh, Dark Order, though. I think they're going to be future tag team <clears throat> champions someday, uh, formerly known as Super Smash Bros. But those guys can go. Even the even the big man, you know, he can go. Just uh, right now, they're they're not as well known, but they will be. I agree. Uh, you know, the big guy, man, and I, I don't. I'm sorry, I'm not up to date with his name, or and I know it. But Evil Uno. There you go. Uh, and he can work for a big dude. Like, like that was an entertaining match. And again, as I've made it very clear, I'm not a huge tag match guy, and uh, there was a lot of them. But it was a good match. I hated that they came on right after uh, the Lucha Brothers came on because the Lucha Brothers and, uh, and the House Party, man, they 
they set the bar. And unfortunately, the the next match just didn't didn't wasn't up to par with theirs. Uh, Kenny Omega then pinned Joey Janela after a one wing angel. Seth Rollins recently said in an interview that when Omega is done in the minor leagues, he'd welcome him to a match the biggest stage of all, WrestleMania. Wow, that uh, you know the thing about Kenny Omega is, man, that guy, that guy is talent, and he can go, he can go, go, go. The I felt like this match was a little lackluster, in my personal opinion. Um, I felt like they put this match together just to get him on the show rather than build a story with it. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, for for whatever reason, uh, if you saw any of Omega stuff in New Japan, it was great. Even uh, I think he had a match in AAA over the, you know, this past weekend was awesome. And I, I don't feel like we're getting that Omega in AEW, and I don't know why. I don't either. I don't I don't feel like he's been involved in a good enough storyline. Um like they like last week they had him, you know, him and Moxley have, have had a pretty good little feud or little little tease going. And then this week we just got nothing. And so I'm not yeah. really sure I'm not really sure what the plan is. I'm not really sure if they know what they want to do with him. Um, but I hope they figure it out and I hope they get back on track. Um, you know, kudos to the guys. They did a great match. Um, but it was just it was very lackluster for me. Yeah, and Joey Janela showed that he's not just a hardcore deathmatch guy. He can actually wrestle a little bit, so we've got to give him some credit. Yeah, you know, and he did great. He stepped kind of out of his realm and, uh, and what he's known for and really did put on a great show. And, I, and I'm not trying to take anything away from from him or, or Omega, but the the match just didn't make a lot of sense to me. It kind of came out of nowhere, and it was kind of, uh, man, we got all these tag matches. You know, I know we got to get Kenny on here. Let's just yeah. put him here. Uh, Tony Schiavone tries to interview Cody Rhodes in the ring, but was interrupted with air horns by the inner circle. Cody threatens to go up to the skybox to fight Jericho. Jericho kind of told him about it being four-on-one until Dustin Rhodes, MJF, and like you mentioned earlier, another legend, Diamond Dallas Page comes out to back up Cody. I absolutely love this segment. Um, yeah, Dustin came out, you know, and, and I kind of figured Dustin was going to come out. That didn't surprise me. Um, MJF actually did kind of surprise me a little bit. I didn't figure he would be one to come out there. Um, and then, of course, Paige comes out and uh, got a great reaction, great pop from the crowd, which he ultimately deserves. Um, but the whole segment was done re- really well. Uh, Jericho and the inner circle walking up there uh, in the middle of the match, showing their tickets off. You knew he was going to get involved somehow. I, yeah. I think the air horns were a great gimmick to use. Just yeah. I thought that that worked out really, really well. Inner Circle tries to lock himself in the skybox, but Cody takes MJF's scarf, wraps it in his hand, busts through the glass, unlocks the door. They start brawling in there, go out to the uh, uh, concourse of the arena, get into the Dippin' Dot stand, get into <laughs> close to some uh, concession stands. I don't know if you saw, but there was one guy, I guess he, he was on crutches, and he lost his crutch, and he was just kind of sitting on the – floor watching what was going on and the camera caught him for just a second I'm, I thought that was kind of funny I actually think that's uh, the crutch that Jericho hit Cody with yeah I think so <laughs> I think they took the dude's crutch and you know he's just kind of left sitting there how much how much what a better way to get heat than to take take the only guy's crutch that he has to be able to stand I, I did I did like this I like the touch where he took the uh, the scarf and busted the window out but like you said it was a little little bit predictable when you see them coming out with tickets you know something's going to happen and and then to go 
along with that, why they really don't need tickets. They work for the company. So, well, um, and that's the thing, you know, we've seen that in the past where they were like on WCW, especially they made a big deal about, you know, we can't keep them out because they bought a ticket, but nobody was yeah. trying to keep these guys out. Uh, you know, I think if they would have done a storyline where they, you know, all jumped Cody or something last week and then they banned them from the building this week while Cody did his speech. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. But like you said, they, yep. they weren't banned. There was nothing actually stopping them from having seen yeah, exactly. or anything else. Young Bucks then defeat the best friends. Uh, before the match, Orange Cassidy comes out and does his uh, super kick party thing. Uh, the Bucks uh, super kick him in the face. After that, they accepted Ortiz and Santana's challenge at full gear. I know uh, I, I told you a few weeks ago um, I'm not sold on Orange Cassidy yet. I'm not sure how they're going to do this, but I will say this. If they would have sold those little kicks to the shins, that would have been one thing. I've been, oh, this is stupid. Come on. But at least they're no-selling it and then kicking him in the face. So I can live with that. I liked it. You know, of course, I've always, I've liked Orange Cassidy. I think he's funny. Um, and we've talked before. Is I don't know how long it'll last, how long it'll be able to last. But, you know, you said it whenever we talked about him last time was, you know, in real life, he's going to do that and we're just going to knock him out. And that's what they did here. So I think I think yeah. that was a great response. That, and that's why I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because that would really happen. Right. Uh, but if wins and losses are really going to matter in AEW, I can't see this guy getting very many wins when he was barely touching your shin. So uh, eventually he's either going to have to wrestle or it's not going to work. Well, you know, and uh, ultimately maybe they just need to sign with an energy drink like Red Bull or something and uh, – he can come out and do a couple of those little soft kicks once in a while and uh, kind of get everybody to stop, take a shot of that energy drink, and boom, matches on. Uh, there you go. It's like Popeye and a spinach. There you go. Uh, you know, some, something along those lines. They could they could make it work. Um, I just – I'm anxious to see how it plays out because, like you, I just – it's not going to last. They're, the, what he's doing is a good gimmick. It's funny, but ultimately it's, it's just not going to be able to last. A uh, video package of <laughs> Dr. Britt Baker – and uh, they're in Pittsburgh tonight. And if you didn't know, she is a real doctor. They remind us of that every week that she's a dentist. And right now, probably the we've said it time and time again, the best women's wrestler they've got on the roster. Uh, she defeats Jamie Hader by submission with lockjaw. After the match, Jamie, I'm sorry, Brandy Rhodes attacked Hader backstage. And I don't know why that didn't make sense. There was no backstory to that. She just attacked her for no reason. You know, that's exactly. I looked at that and I was like, man, that, that's just dumb. Brandy didn't say anything. She kind of did like the psycho hand gestures or something, but it uh, it didn't make sense to me either. I do want to go on record because, you know, I've probably been one of the biggest critics about AEW's women's division. Uh, I want to give, I want to talk about this match for just a second because this match, in my opinion, took the women's division from a about a two to probably a seven in my book. I actually really enjoyed this match. Um, what was her oh, this Jamie Hader yeah. can work. Yeah, she Jamie was good. Hader, uh, that's the first time I've ever seen her. She went out. She, I mean, she nailed it. She did a great, great job. Um, of course, Britt Baker, we've always said is is really good. Um, you know. And and she'll get better. The more reps she gets, the better she'll get. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I probably liked it a little bit too much because Riho wasn't on there. Um, so we actually got to see some real good wrestling. 
But uh, those two went, and like I said, I, in my in my opinion, they knocked it up from about a two to a seven. I was very impressed with them, and I hope that they can keep the momentum that they've got going because I'd really like to see the women's division succeed in AEW. Uh, main event, Pack versus John Moxley goes Broadway. Time limit draw. I love Moxley. I was an Ambrose fan. I'm a Moxley fan now. I said it before. I'm not a huge Pack fan. It was a good match, you know. I'll, I'll give it what it is. It uh, it wasn't bad at all. It didn't it it didn't keep my attention. I I didn't get super super involved in it. Uh, again, I think Omega could have came out at the end and really kind of electrified everything because they've kind of had that feud going on, and he didn't. So I'm not really sure where they're going now and what they're settling. I thought they were going to have a three way match, um, and now it seems like they've almost taken Kenny out of the equation. And we're going to have Moxley versus Pack at, at the uh, at the pay per view coming out. Yeah, that's that's weird. He was just feuding with Omega what last week? Yeah, well, yeah, and, and he and then uh, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. They were all three on the on ramp. Yeah, and yeah. and now we've all of a sudden Omega's just kind of stepped out, and we've got these two guys going at it, and it just doesn't. Their storylines jumping a little bit, and uh, you know, of course, I'm uh, I'm an AEW fan, so I'm anxious to see where it goes. But I think they need to slow down, take a breath, and, and figure out what they want to do in this situation and some other situations that they have. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised next week. Maybe uh, Omega works his way back in and we see a three-way at the uh, pay-per-view. Well, and that's ultimately what I was hoping. You know, I, uh, the... I mean, at this point, with like you said, the inter- intertwining, that would make more sense than just starting a new feud from scratch at this point of the game. Yeah, you know, at least let them get, at least let them get their uh... – pay-per-view match in, get everything going. Um, let them have their little battle first before you start moving them on to other things because whenever you're just starting over like that and we're losing Omega in the in the run of things, and ultimately, uh, like we said, you know, Omega was kind of in a throwaway match this week, and we're not getting to see Omega at his best, and maybe they're not using him at his best. So taking him out of a feud that was actually getting going good doesn't make sense. Yeah. While we're on the topic of AEW, Randy Orton, uh, I think it was on his Instagram, posted a picture of him in an elevator. I think it was an elevator on a floor uh, next to a sign that said the elite floor or whatever. Elite level. And on his loca- elite level and his locations setting said Jacksonville, which that's where Tony Khan, uh, you know, they own the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, he tagged in the revival, both members of the revival and Luke Harper. I don't know if he's trolling, but man, if can you imagine if these four dudes jumped to AEW and was to form a stable? How awesome that would be! That would be an old school stable right there. You know, Orton Orton is is a legend of his own. Um, Orton Orton will be a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's obviously made a name for himself. He's he's great in the ring. Um, for him to joke like that or, or to to just throw it out there to see what kind of response it gets really surprises me because, to me, you know, it seems like something Vince would be like blowing a head gasket over. Shut up! No! Yes! Oh, I've had enough of this crap! But, or, but I agree that oh. the four of them would be amazing if they if, – if that jump – man, if they ever just showed up one Wednesday night on AEW – I don't, I don't, I can't even put words into it on how awesome that would be. It'd be, 
it'd be great. Of course, Orton would be, you know, the leader. And then you've got – it's kind of like the horseman. You've got the uh, – he would play like Flair's role. And then you've got the the Revival as the tag team of the group. And then Harper would be your big enforcer. I mean, and they're all old school guys too and super talented. And I do believe their contracts are going to be up not much longer. I would love to see, if nothing else, I'd love to see the Revival go to AEW since the AEW is pushing tag teams. I got to say, the Revival right now is probably one of my favorite tag teams out there. They have that Arn and Tully kind of uh, yep. demeanor about themselves. They are great, great workers. You know, and Jim Cornette said that himself. That's one of his favorite tag teams that the WWE has right now. Those guys are great workers. Um, and they're not getting, in my opinion, they're not getting used well. You know, they had the back, the backstage segments uh, where they were shaving each other's back and it it kind of made a joke. That was so stupid. Yeah. I mean, these guys are, or that old school, they've got that old school look. They wear the satin jackets when they come out, you know, they, they can be money. And I think they would do a lot better in AEW and Luke Harper as well. I mean, look at that guy. He's got nothing going for him right now. Yeah. All four of them. And even Orton, all four of them, in my opinion, would probably prosper if they moved to AEW and created that stable. Jumping over to NXT, Rhea Ripley, defeats Bianca Belair. We see a video package of Tomasa Champa. Uh, Matt Riddle pins Cameron Grimes with the bro Derek. Riddle used Goldberg's jackhammer during the match, and the crowd chanted Riddle to the cadence of the Goldberg chant. If it's uh, real life heat, if it's just a work or what, but those two have kind of been going at each other on social media for a bit, or at least uh, Riddle has. Uh, this was a great match, man. And Cameron Grimes, like I said, he was formerly Trevor Lee in TNA. The dude's got skills. Oh, they do. He does. All, all of them do. You know, that, I agree. That was a great match. Um, Riddle, you know, and I'm like, you. Yeah, I don't know if it's real heat or if it's a work or what it is. I make to see where they, where they end up going with it, with him being on NXT. You know, uh, honestly, give NXT ratings, ratings push. Goldberg showed up on an NXT show to kind of feud with Riddle. I think it would bump their ratings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But would the NXT hardcore fans want to see Goldberg in NXT? I, I don't know. I don't know. Be interesting to see if they they actually do something with this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Brizango and Isaiah Swerve Scott then defeat the, the Forgotten Sons. <coughs> Killian Dane does a promo on Pete Dunne. Angel Garza defeated Jack Gallagher. Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox defeated Shafir and uh, Duke to earn a shot at the WWE Women's Tag Titles. I don't know uh, if they plan on letting uh, Knox and and Dakota Kai win, but that, in my opinion, that would be the smart thing. For one, these tag titles, you can bounce them around to any of the brands, so that would give them some exposure somewhere else. And plus, that would free up and feud with Becky Lynch, who Becky Lynch has never beat Asuka, and they could use that as an awesome storyline. I think they've really dropped a ball with Asuka. Um, she can go, she can work, she can do really, really well as a singles competitor, so I'm not sure why they have her in a tag uh, in a tag team. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I believe that Asuka could be right up there with Charlotte, like you said, Becky Lynch. Um, you know, she's one of the top, yeah. one of the top competitors in the women's division, and I think they're really just kind of dumbing her down, and I, and I think they're missing out on a big opportunity with her. Yeah, and, they're kind of showing some hints, maybe bringing that character back. She was in Japan the past few weeks. She, you know, they've been showing her using the green mist, which is pretty cool. The great Kabuki, instead of the Kabuki Warriors, great Kabuki is probably the first one I saw use it, and then 
uh, Mudu, I think, or that was billed as his son or some sort of relative. Of course, he's the one that uh, really made it popular. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like them bringing uh, bringing the mist back. The thing about it is, is like these characters, uh, Kenny Omega, Asuka, and of course others were were really great in Japan. And so, if WWE can get away, obviously not with Omega, but if WWE can get away with Asuka portraying her her uh, character that she had in Japan, by all means, let her do it because it was over. Um, I know you can't you can't do it exactly right because of copyright uh, rules and stuff, but give her a little bit of leeway, bring the character back, and let's see what let's see how good of a yeah. And I know her English is great, but who cares? She doesn't need speaking. Let's just let her. She can tell the story. She can do her talking in the ring. Several uh, superstars that we've had over the years that that couldn't talk on a mic. Uh, and you know, I, let's look at let's look at Brock Lesnar. Okay, that guy is huge. He's a super athlete, but how many words does he actually say? How many right. promos does he actually cut? Roderick Strong defeated Keith Lee and Dominic Dajakovic uh, to retain the North American title. Lee hit the spirit bomb off the ropes onto Dominic, but Strong hit a running kick to Lee's <coughs> face and gets the win. After the match, Tommaso Ciampa interrupted the Undisputed Air celebration. Johnny Gargano and Finn Balor also come out. Stand besides Ciampa to even up the odds. As Balor's taking his coat off, he immediately Pele kicks Gargano, ultimate heel turn, leaving Champa to get beat down by the Undisputed Era. Balor continued to attack Gargano at ringside, putting him through the security railing, spiking him on the floor with a brain buster. As Balor walks away, the Undisputed Era throws up their hand signs at him, and he responds with the old school bullet club, you know, pistols in the air. Uh, Balor and Cole, both former members of the bullet club in New Japan, Show ends. I thought it was great. I agree. Uh, that you know, Balor turning turn heel is huge. Balor's one of those guys that can do either one. You know, whatever you want him to, or whatever I guess the company needs him to be at that moment, he can he can be that guy. He's obviously got a tremendous look. He's got unbelievable amounts of talent, um, and I think this was a good a good uh, turn for him. He really got lost on Raw for some reason and i don't know why because he he's a top player but uh creative or whoever just they weren't giving him the push that he needed he you know he won the the won the uh i think it was the universal title or, or whatever heavyweight championship he won and then he hurt himself and it seems like ever since he got hurt he just they haven't given him that momentum back or given him what he's he, a great hill what he deserves great hill in, in japan opinion. with a bullet club and, and that's so, kind of what put him on the map i don't know that he's been a hill since he signed with the wwe uh, as far as I know, he hasn't. He's always been a face. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see the demon character, if they are going to allow him to do it at all as a heel, because people really love it. Overall, man, I know AEW won again in the ratings. I just read that prior to recording. But really, I thought NXT did a much better, had a much better show this week. Uh, main event, you know, AEW, Pack and Moxley go to a time limit draw. Main event, NXT... We see the Undisputed Era retaining a, in a championship match and then Phil, Finn Balor heel turn. So I just thought uh, AEW still got that big event vibe, which I think NXT is lacking. But in my opinion, NXT just tore the house down. I will say, as much as I have loved AEW, um, I do feel I do like too. I've, so, I've heard a lot a of people uh, uh, say that this week was their favorite episode. 
I think this is probably my least favorite episode. And I'm like you. I'm a huge AEW fan. I've, I've enjoyed every week since they've been on. But for some reason, I just thought NXT uh, took it this week. Yeah, AEW, AEW really, in my opinion, dropped the ball. I'm surprised to hear anybody say that this was their their favorite uh, so far. And maybe it's just because of all the all the high spots that they did and, and maybe the people were liking it. Uh, I, again, I think they had the same problem this week as they did last week. They had way too many tag matches. Uh, you've got the tournament going on, so I understand that you're going to have one or two, but to have more than yeah. two singles matches doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, anytime you put Balor anywhere, Balor's going to steal the show. And he really did that with the next NXT this week as far as his heel turn. If if people don't remember anything else, they're going to know that he turned heel. And so WWE, NXT, whatever you want to call them, they, they did good this week with that. Um, and like, and I agree with you. They, they had, they did have a better show. They had better matches. Um, they, they were better quality this week than, uh, than I feel like AEW was. AEW had some really, really good moments. Yeah, it seems like we talked a lot show, about I New Japan why. on this episode, uh, which, by the way, are starting a new U.S. Uh, division or subsidiary, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it's almost like lots of U.S. New Japan fans have flocked to AEW because of. The Bucks are there. Omega's there. Uh, lots of other talent there. But it's almost like NXT's like, okay, you want to see some of this New Japan stuff? How about uh, how about we give you Adam Cole and Finn Balor, some of the original Bullet Club members? You know, and that you know, and that's a good way to fire back at them. Well, we did some polls uh, last week, and overwhelmingly, people wanted us to start doing some retro reviews, and. Um, at David Wood 503 and at Reverend 316 suggested we do a retro review on WCW Halloween Havoc from 1997. Uh, October 26, 1997, Las Vegas, Nevada, MGM Grand. <coughs> Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rhodes, Bobby Heenan on commentary, and Mean Gene Okerlund handling some, handling some of the interviews. This was one of the greats. Uh, well, I can't say that for every match, but there was one match in particular on here that made this whole pay per view worth it. Well, and I think it's going to be the same match that I that I that I'm seeing too. Um, and I'll I'll just say it: Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. Absolutely classic masterpiece, man. First match: Yuji Nagata with Sonny Ono defeats the Ultimo Dragon with an armbar submission. Uh, Nagata was a former multi champion, including IWGP. Still wrestling today. Ultimo Dragon, of course, super talented. Held like a dozen belts at uh, different titles at one time. Like I know there's a there's a picture you can see him with just belts wrapped draped around his arms, around his waist, around his head, everywhere. Excellent opening match. Uh, if you saw it twenty something years ago, you may not have been into it, but now you can watch it and really appreciate that match. Ultimo Dragon, man, that he's he's another one who's just a legend. Um, he was great. Back in the '90s, uh, and I, I believe he's actually still wrestling today. But uh, that's one of my biggest memories of him is he came out, and I think it was on uh, Monday Nitro, and he came out and he had like ten or twelve belts <laughs> strapped or all, or yeah, just hanging all over him. And I, you know, and at the time I didn't really get it um, because I wasn't exposed to you know New Japan wrestling and stuff like that as a teenager. But looking back, you know, you got to think of, of what an honor that is. To actually be able to hold titles in all those all those different uh, divisions or territories, whatever you want to call them, and they all get showcased on one show. Second match. Uh, this was an unannounced match. I think they 
uh, or unadvertised, I guess you could say, Chris Jericho defeats Ghetto via submission of Line Tamer. Ghetto, you know, we've talked a lot about New Japan. No one had a clue who he was during this match. Now, the main booker for New Japan Wrestling, <laughs> manager of the Bullet Club. So we can thank him for some of these stars, Kenny Omega, Finn Balor, uh, Adam Cole, some of the guys we've been talking about this whole episode. Did you notice Chris Jericho's music when he came out? I, I did. Uh, not the same uh, music 20-something years ago, no. which was weird because all the other guys had their original music. But if you go back on the network and watch it, he comes out to the, his WWE theme song. Yeah, the Break the Walls Down. Uh, that, that did throw me off, and I actually – Watch for Ray and Eddie's uh, entrances to see if their music changed, but it's yeah. not. It's the actual original yeah. WCW. So I'm kind of kind of curious as to why uh, they uh, they used his new music. So yeah, Ghetto uh, went from nobody knew who he was to everybody kind of knows who he is now. I hear Jericho's doing pretty good for himself these days too. <laughs> A scary moment during this match when Jericho kind of botched the top rope Hurricane Rana. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the thing is. Uh, the, uh, I hate to talk about her Karatas because we we've seen so many this week, but uh, yeah, that's a dangerous move. If you if you mess that up, I mean, you've got a guy. If he falls on top of his head, uh, you know, you're looking at a at a very very dangerous situation. So of all the moves to botch, that's not not really one that you want to. Um, luckily, it looked like looked like neither guy was hurt and uh, they were able to finish the match fine. Uh, but close call. I'm glad they both made it out. Backstage, Mean Gene Oakland interviews the queen, Deborah McMichael. She talks about who's going to be her mystery man against her husband, Mongo, later on the card. She even mentions Steven Seagal. Can you imagine, <laughs> had that been the case, if Steven Seagal would have came out and wrestled a Chicago Bear, uh, that would have been insane. You know, uh, luckily it was 97, um, because in 2000, uh, 2001 maybe in Russo's day, you know, that was something that was very, very – plausible and could have happened thankfully it did in this situation and uh the match we talked about the the if you watch any match on this pay-per-view go watch this one ray mysterio jr uh, pins eddie guerrero hurricane rana penny combination this was a title match also a hair versus match (laughs) match ray wins the wcw cruiserweight title you can tell after the match man he's holding back tears i I don't know if it's because it's not only He's hurting, but maybe he realizes they just had an outstanding match, and he was just so proud of it. You know, I've seen, uh, and I can't remember what uh, what documentary it was, but it was Vicky Rivera was talking about it. And uh, Eddie and, and Ray had known each other for a long time, and they always wanted that chance to, to compete. And they were finally given that chance in WCW. And uh, they were talking about what a magical – magical uh night they had that night how much great respect they had for each other obviously they were again able to mimic it in the wwe years later but uh i don't know any two competitors athletes superstars whatever you want to call them that are that work that well with each other i don't know anybody any i can't think of two guys off the top of my head that could get in the ring and work like these two do of course eddie you know, getting heat from the crowd. Uh, Eddie sucks. Chance was raining from the audience. Uh, he gets, uh, I think he kind of sort of a camel clutch type move and pretends like he's going to rip the mask off and does tear some of it off. Yeah. Uh, again, if you watch the eye, yeah. Yeah. Both these guys, man, 
mid Carters, WCW, both these guys go on to be WWE uh, world champions later on in their career. Again, if y'all watch any match on this show, make it <coughs> one. You know, and that goes back to, uh, you know, we talked about size of guys last uh, last week, and this this is kind of the uh, the what sets the bar is is these guys in Jericho, all three, you know, cruiserweights in WCW, and they go on to the WWE where people where they actually yep. had creative that knew how to use them, and boom, they're mega stars. So you know, I guess uh, people can say what they want to, but uh, WCW's biggest downfall was some of their booking. I, I absolutely. Backstage segment, Bischoff and Hogan refusing to wrestle in the main event unless Sting was barred from the building. Uh, <laughs> this, is when, uh, this is when things start going downhill. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Deborah McMichael's mystery man turns out to be Alex Wright. Uh, he pins Steve Mongo McMichael's when uh, Goldberg comes out, gives a little assist. This is originally supposed to be Mongo and Jeff Jarrett, but Double J bolts to the WWE, leaving them high and dry. So, they come up with Alex Wright. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, whatever happened, to Alex Wright? I I don't know, man. Yeah, Goldberg comes out, spears and jackknives uh, Mongo, picks up Wright, throws him on Mongo for the pin. All this happens right next to the referee, who Hello, somehow H. does. Yeah, uh, Charles Robinson somehow didn't notice a thing. Uh, I think the crowd was even like seriously. You could hear some boos. Afterwards, Deborah gives Goldberg Mongo Super Bowl ring as payment. Goldberg then Jack Hammers Alex Wright. But again, this was poorly, poorly done. You got to give Charles Robert Robinson credit. I mean, he he did well with what he had to work with. Had Goldberg got in there and just speared Alex Wright, or I'm sorry, speared Mongo and put Alex Wright on Mongo and got out, it'd have been fine. The problem is he speared him, and for whatever reason, speared him right into Charles Robinson's feet. <laughs> Deborah gets off the ring apron and quits arguing with him. Yeah, oh, so Robinson, he's stuck. He turns around and looks and sees Goldsberg still there and turns right back around and starts arguing with Deborah, who's now on the floor. And yeah. then it goes on for another 30 or 45 seconds. And, uh, you know, you can even see it in Charles Robinson's face. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. This has got to stop yeah. already. Yeah, he tried. Give him credit. He did try. Yeah, it, uh, it was – I mean, this – and like I said, the rest of the whole pay-per-view was pretty poor, but this was this was probably the lowest uh, of the pay-per-view. Uh, it didn't get, doesn't get much better. Jacqueline defeats Disco Inferno with a roll-up in a non-title match uh, for, the U- for the U.S. title. Uh, yeah, this wasn't much better. I don't remember what the deal was during this time. I, honestly, I forgot to look it up, but I, I think – for whatever reason, Disco Inferno had some heat on him during this time with WCW. And, uh, of course, Jackie goes on being WWE Hall of Fame. Disco now helping out Impact, last I heard. You know, I, yeah, honestly, I, I liked Disco Inferno. I liked his gimmick. I remember the, uh, you know, the the disco ball hanging around, and he'd come out dancing. And, uh, and I thought mm-hmm. it was a good gimmick. I, you know, I, I, never, I would never put him in a main event uh, heavyweight championship match. But... You know, if he would have, back in that day, you know, the TV title, you know, he could have carried it around, and he may have even, I don't remember, but uh, the, I don't know who he just got under the skin of and made mad, but, and, I, and I'm like, it's, I, I don't remember what happened back in, but that was just horrible. Yeah, not to get on Impact too much, because I don't watch Impact anymore. They had their big Bound for Glory pay-per-view over the weekend. Joey Ryan 
uh, made his debut. He signed with Impact. Uh, but Tessa Blanchard, I have recently read where she's either done or her contract is expiring soon. So either WWE or AEW needs to get on the phone <laughs> and try to get Tessa Blanchard. I could see her being outstanding in either promotion. Uh, you know, you pair her up with Flair and WWE, you can kind of revive the original, like a, a four horseman type thing. Or she goes to AEW where her dad's already at, and she would, without a doubt, be the best talent on the women's roster over there. I, I would I would see her going to AEW personally before WWE, <clears throat> just because of her father being there. And, yeah. uh, and again, I think she'll, you know, she, she's got talent. She's tremendous in the ring. And it's what AEW needs. They really need somebody like her to come over and just boost that uh, that division. Uh, on down this card, CW U.S. champion Kurt Henning defeats Ric Flair via disqualification after Flair stomps the U.S. title into Henning's face. Had him up in a tree of woe. Uh, again, I mentioned Charlotte Flair earlier. Both these guys currently have children signed to WWE. Of course, Curtis Axel is the son of Kurt Henning and Charlotte Flair, the daughter of Ric Flair. Curtis Axel, another one I want to throw out there real quick that I think would be a great catch for AEW whenever his contract's up. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a shame that you know second gen, actually third, maybe fourth generational superstar, uh, and he's pretty talented. He's just not given the opportunity. You know, he and that's the thing. He had a little run with Paul Heyman when he won yep. the Intercontinental Belt, man, and and I was a huge, huge fan of his. And they really, again, just dropped the ball with him. And I'd love to see him go to AEW and and really pick up and take off and run. Um, now, the match itself with, with Henning and Flair, uh, judging by he, uh, by Henning coming out in the robe, I would assume this is just after they uh, they did the whole Arn Anderson environment yep. thing. Um, you know, so looking at these two guys in the ring, it, be realistic – of course, Flair, you know, has is a legend, and he has the talent. And he's been all over the world, but man, Henning is is a top notch athlete. Um, I think these absolutely. Two, I think they could have had a better match than what they did. And I didn't like the way it ended, um, but it, you know, it is what it is. And I would have loved to have seen Henning <coughs> actually, actually take Arn's spot. You know, oh, uh, absolutely. And them use that and run with it. Instead, they decided to go a different direction, which. I think it's unfortunate because he was amazing. You know, both WWE Hall of Famers. Uh, most people know him as Mr. Perfect in WWF, WWE. But, man, if, if he would have stayed, uh, of course, he died way too soon. But if he would have stayed in that horseman spot, that, that could have been really good. Yeah, I you know, and I think that he could have played the part well. Um, he was just in a tremendous talent. And one of my favorite documentaries is the Mr. Perfect DVD. Uh, guy was great. Again, gone way too soon. Uh, I never got to see him live. Uh, I would always, always wanted to. Of course, uh, if I could ever meet him on the independent scene, that would have been great. But uh, again, that was before my time, obviously. But uh, they could have done a lot with him there. Um, I don't yep. think the NWO was necessarily the perfect place for him. No pun intended. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, Lex Luger versus Scott Hall, Larry Zbysko, special referee. At first, Hall wins with the assistance from uh, Six, uh, Xbox. Zbysko restarts the match after he figures out they did a little cheating. But then the NWO all of a sudden interferes, and the match just kind of stops. I'm, so I'm going to guess Luger wins by disqualification. 
we never really found out what the deal was, who actually won. But judging by the finish, it looks like uh, Luger probably won by DQ. Uh, you know, it was a WCW finish. Dusty uh, finish, yeah. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, God bless his soul. He. Uh, it was. It was what it was, and uh, I don't even know. You know, both of those guys are just legends in their own right. And, of course, Abisco in there is another legend. I just – I don't know. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage versus Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, Savage ends up winning. I thought this match was a little bit better than, I don't know, what people give it credit for. Uh, it's a sudden death match. It's basically a last man standing match. A fake sting. Apparently, this was Hulk Hogan dressed as sting because he had the same boots as Hogan wears. Comes out, whacks DDP in the ribs. <laughs> Uh, assist his buddy, the Macho Man, for the win. Of course, Paige can't come back in and get the beat the 10 count. Mach wins. Again, this wasn't great, but a little bit better than what, you know, a lot of people crap on it, but I thought it was it was decent for what it was. Well, you know, and it's hard for Macho Man to have a bad match, or I guess it was hard for Macho Man to have a bad match. Macho Man was a unbelievable talent. He was He was great on the mic, great in the ring. DDP, uh, also just a a great, great athlete and a legend like we talked about earlier. I think they could have done more and they could have made it better. Um, but maybe they just got the vibe of the rest of the pay-per-view and just kind of did it halfway and we got what uh, we got. Lots of interference by Miss Elizabeth in this match, something you rarely saw back in the day. Yeah, uh, Miss Elizabeth really didn't get involved too much. Uh, all throughout the WWF and uh, and even in WCW, so it it was a little bit more than what you're used to. Um, God rest her soul, I miss her too. She was another one that was uh, you know the sidekick of Macho Man and and somebody that you always enjoyed seeing. That's one thing about this pay per view that that uh, I enjoyed, but was also depressing is you know we opened up with Bobby Heen and Dusty Rhodes and Gene Oakland and and all three of those guys obviously have they have uh, passed away and moved on and. Uh, Guerrero, you start, wa- start watching. Yeah, you start watching these matches, and it's like Hanning. there's more guys that have died. Yeah, and there are still alive, and uh, there really is. Yeah, it's sad. Had, you know, uh, talking about Macho Man and uh, Elizabeth. If you guys haven't seen Dark Side of the Ring, highly recommend it. One of the episodes features uh, Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth. Just uh, main event: Age in the Cage. Rowdy Roddy Popper defeats Hulk Hogan <laughs> with a sleeper hold. <laughs> Uh, again, uh, about the only thing that stands out to me during this match is a fan climbs the cage, gets in the ring, uh, just prior to WCW security pulling him out, he gets the piss beat out of him by Hogan and Savage. A lot of people thought he was a plant and it was a work, but if you notice at one point, one of the many fake stings that was a part of this match actually tries to hold this guy down and contain him. And Tony Schiavone has since said several times this was not a work. This was actually a, a real fan. And uh, that he caught some live rounds by Macho Man and even Hogan. Uh, I don't think they even knew at first. I thought they just thought it was one of the fake stings, but it was just a kid with sting makeup on. And uh, it actually shows it uh, on I don't camera. think the camera crew knew what was going on. No, I don't think so. Because uh, if they would have knew, they probably would have cut away to avoid a lawsuit. But yeah, uh, I, uh, I looked it up because I saw it and I was like, man, and I, and I kind of I was trying to watch the kid's body language and how he would go up against the ropes or how he would do stuff to see if it was a worker. 
Um, and I looked it up and I saw one website said, yeah, it was a work. It was a plant. And then uh, like five other ones are like, no, this was the real deal. And I started watching some of these punches and uh, that Hogan was throwing, especially in, uh, and Hogan reared back. And I'm, I saw one in general that punched this dude right in the forehead. And that kid's head just rocks back. And uh, finally security gets in there and picks him up. And this kid's fighting for his life, trying to get away from security. Um, I was shocked at I was shocked at how long the cameras stayed actively rolling on this kid who climbed into the ring and just got the ever loving crap beat out of him. Yeah, I, uh, Shivani uh, Conrad asked uh, Conrad Thompson asked Tony Shivani about this, and he swears this was this was not a work. The kid wasn't a plant. Uh, if it was, he didn't know about it and still don't know about it. But. Uh, he swears, you know, it was a fan, and he caught some live rounds, and, and which he should have. If you're stupid enough to get in there, they don't know who you are, what your intentions are. You deserve to get every lick they can get in on you. Yeah, absolutely. You know that. But if you you cross that barrier, man, and you're in you're in their world, and uh, you know WWE, WWF, whatever. Back in the day, um, there was a, a Austin and Helmsley, Helmsley match, Triple H match. Oh yeah. And somebody got in the ring and Holy helped. Holy crap! Yeah, <laughs> Hunter just beat the ever-loving crap out of this guy. And uh, Austin talked about it in one of his DVDs, and he's like, you know, he said, "I was laying over in the corner, and I just kind of happened to look up, and and there's this kid running to the ring, and Hunter grabs him and just starts." Uh, Earl Hebner was the referee, and Earl even started taking shots on him, but they started beating the crap out of that kid about that yeah, time. I, whenever they started cutting the cameras away, I had forgotten about that until the. Uh, uh, Hall of Fame incident with a, a idiot attack Bret Hart that had resurfaced, and I thought, "Holy crap!" Yeah, uh, you know, and that's the thing. That's the price you pay. You know, you cross that that line, you cross that barrier. Um, all the gloves are off. You know, whatever happens, happens. If you're not smart enough to stay in your seat, then that's on you. And nowadays, you know, if somebody jumps the ring, the camera, you know, you're going to look at the crowd while they get whoever out of the ring. They don't want to promote it because the more it's shown, the more we're going to try to. WCW back in the day had a lot of incidences where fans would jump that barricade and get involved. Yeah. <clears throat> we need to bring back Doug Dillinger, AEW <laughs> head of security. Is Doug still, is he still alive? Is he still alive? I, I don't know if he's still alive or not. He looked, uh, I mean, he looked like he was in his 50s back in you know, the 90s. Well, the only other thing about this match stood out was the Macho Man jumped off the top of the cage. He was like 54 years old at this time, so. There's no telling how many matches that we could have seen, but this probably shaved them off right there. Cause the, this is like the original Hell in the Cell, right? Because this is the one that actually went all the way to the ground instead um, of on the, on the yeah, ring. Yeah, it, it went around the ring onto the ground. It didn't have a top on it. Um, yeah, I want to yeah. say there was one years ago that um, I don't remember if Tommy Rich was in it. It was pretty similar to this cage. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you can get outside around the ring. Uh, it, much better than the ones that just sit on top. I remember Macho when he climbed to the top. Uh, it was wobbly uh, though, real wobbly. Yeah. Well, at first it didn't make sense because the gate, the the door, the cage door was actually open. Yeah. And so I'm like, why is he climbing in? And then he walk he right through just like off. the ref did instead. Yeah. Just climb up to the top. Yeah. Which hey, more power to him. I, I get the fact that he wanted to do the big. Uh, the double axe handle off the top, and uh, you know, of course, he missed and hit Hogan and, and bumped, did like a little front bump or whatever onto the onto the mat. But uh, 
I will say, uh, Roddy Piper, when he walked out as his entrance, the first thing I thought was, "Yo, man, Roddy looked good." Yeah, he Roddy did. Looked, Roddy looked healthy. He looked clean. He looked really, really good. Uh, of course, another one that just is a shame that he's gone. And uh, uh, yeah, Piper was talented, man. He was so good on the mic. He didn't need a script. He didn't need a memo. Just give him a mic and let him go. They think they got the answers. I changed the questions. He was uh, he was really good. I talked to uh, we had hacksaw Jim Duggan at a, at one of our mid states wrestling shows, one of our legend shows, uh, a couple of years ago, and it was right after they had finished taping the uh, Legends House, and uh, Piper had already passed away and everything. And uh, uh, Duggan had mentioned that uh, him and Piper were never really. Uh, that close you know, they weren't like mortal enemies or nothing but they never really hung out and talked a lot up until the legends house and uh duggan had nothing but but great kind words to say for for uh piper and uh you know of course pipers do that i mean he's just a great great guy yeah, his, his daughter's actually wrestling now is she she is i think she was in a battle royal that at one of the AEW pay-per-views a few months ago. So she's still developing. I'm sure once she she gets some uh, experience under her belt, we'll see more of her. I uh, I will. That's one thing I do give uh, Ronda Rousey credit for. I, I like that she pays tribute to Piper by coming out yep. in the leather jacket. And, uh, of course, that was obviously one of her, her biggest idols when she was growing up. And MJF also tributes him. All his scarves are the same pattern of his kilts. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I haven't. I have not. I believe he said that on the Stone Cold's podcast. It was one of the podcasts I'd listened to uh, <clears throat> several months ago. Uh, he'd mentioned that. Well, that's, that's awesome. That, I like seeing that stuff. I like seeing the guys that, uh, you know, are our age or maybe even a little bit younger than us that are, that are still paying tribute, you know, to the guys that were before them, the guys that we grew up watching, the guys they grew up watching. Uh, it's just kind of an awesome little respect uh, that they have for the business and respect for those guys. Um, loved listening to Dusty on commentary during this pay per view. Yeah, uh, people people talk about Bobby and uh, Bobby Heenan and, and Gorilla Monsoon a lot because they were kind of you know the founding fathers of commentary. But uh, you know, I, a lot of people overlook how good Tony Schiavone and Bobby were. They had a really good chemistry. Yeah. Uh, on 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 color commentary as well. I know Bobby didn't really care for working in WCW in the later years, but uh, those two worked really well together. Um, and I, I did enjoy hearing hearing those voices again. Of course, I hear Shivani on AEW now, and it brings back memories. But Bobby Heenan sitting there was just uh, was great. One of the all time greatest greatest voices of the business, greatest managers of all time. Uh, yeah. Overall, not the best pay per view, but again. Stereo Guerrero match makes up for it. Eddie Guerrero just absolutely cut, jacked, great shape. Uh, again, go watch that match, guys, if you haven't already seen it. Uh, hey, shout out to the guys uh, over at Hills and Quads podcast. Coincidentally, I actually ran into Tommy today amongst my travels. Super nice guy. They do a great job. If you're not familiar with them, give them a listen. Uh, you got anything else, man? That's all I can think of. I think we covered uh, we covered quite a bit. We didn't cover Raw this week, um, but out of respect for all those guys, there wasn't really much to cover. So I did like the Sheldon Benjamin and uh, Ray Mysterio thing up until they smashed uh, Sheldon Benjamin. 
Yeah, Shelton Benjamin is one of those guys that can work. Um, as everybody knows, I'm a huge Rusev fan. I like that they have him in a storyline. I think it's a dumb storyline, but at least it's something um, that he's getting his name out there and getting a little bit of a push. And um, I do want to say one thing, though. We talked last week, I think it was, about uh, about when Scorpio came out and he had to, had to get his wrist tape out of his gym bag and we were talking yeah. about things not being staged. They had Rusev go to that restaurant and attack uh, Bobby Lashley, and uh, somehow – there were six police officers there uh, within five <laughs> seconds of it starting. Um, yeah. I mean, everybody know. Well, I, I don't know if everybody knows or not, but I'm in law enforcement. That's how me and you met. Uh, I can't think of a time that I've ever been dispatched to a fight that uh, I was able to get there in three seconds, especially with five other guys. So another one of those things that maybe was too, again, they could have probably thought out a little bit better, but uh, at least he's yeah. recognition. This is this is the problem I had with the whole Becky Lynch getting arrested uh, angle they had around WrestleMania. Uh, that's just not how it works, guys. Plus, this is 2019. If she'd actually been arrested, it would have been on TMZ, ESPN, <laughs> everywhere else. We can we can stop with the arrest angles. You can still do it without. <sighs> Without doing that, just, you know, we, we talked about Jericho and them earlier. Just have security come out and bar them from the building or something like that. There's no need to to go overboard with that. Well, they had wait staff in this position, in this in this situation. They had waiters, they had cooks, they had people sitting there. Uh, you know, they had other ways to separate these guys instead of uh, so these uh, makeshift police officers um, going out there and separating and arresting them and and all that. Uh, but again, WWE creative. We've talked about it before and how bad it is. Uh, that just goes to prove it. But ultimately, those are the two highlights, I think, of Raw. So uh, if anybody's wondering, we just covered the entire show. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, guys, uh, if you're not following us, follow us at the Slop Drop One on Twitter and at the Slop Drop on Facebook. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts iHeartRadio, Spotify, and anywhere else you can think of. We're probably there. Until next time, we're out of here. Goodbye and good night. One, two, three.